Take your Bibles and turn with me this morning to 2 Corinthians. We certainly appreciate you working with us today on one service. We, uh, one service at, at this time, this early time. We're trying to get you out of here before Pitt School Road becomes a parking lot for the 2 p.m. race, probably about 11 o'clock. It'll be that way out there, so maybe I'll have you out and on your way by then. <laughs> but anyway, <laughs> uh, suffering that equips you for a ministry of comfort. That's what I want us to look at this morning, talking about evil and suffering we're going to concentrate more this morning on the aspect of suffering, suffering versus evil. We've talked about evil, and we'll talk more about that, why evil. But this morning, we're looking at it more from the standpoint of human suffering that may not be directly connected to something we can put our finger on or not. But uh, if you'll find 2 Corinthians chapter 1... In your copy of the scripture, 2 Corinthians 1. And if you'd stand with me for the reading of God's word, and we'll read down through verse 11. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God, and Timothy, our brother, to the church of God that is at Corinth, with all the saints who are in the whole of Achaia. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our affliction, so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort, which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Our hope for you is unshaken. For we know that as you share in our sufferings, you will also share in our comfort. For we do not want you to be ignorant, brothers, of the affliction we experienced in Asia. For we were so utterly burdened beyond our strength that we despaired of life itself. Indeed, we felt that we had received the sentence of death. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves, but on God who raises the dead. He delivered us from such a deadly peril, and He will deliver us. On Him, we have set our hope that He will deliver us again. You also must help us by prayer, so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted us through the prayers of many. Father, we ask that you would speak to our hearts today through your word. Your word is inspired. It is perfect. It is inerrant in every way. And it is given for our salvation and also for our comfort and 
that we might be equipped for every good work. Lord, we're going to talk about a matter this morning that we have all experienced at some point in our lives or we will experience. Lord, help us not simply to look at ourselves, but look at you and look at others and how you might have us going through a trial or a time of suffering. And the purpose of it is so that in the long run, we can minister to somebody else later on who's going through the same trial. So Lord, I pray that we would be open to that and that we would be ready to use that as an occasion to serve you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. David Dykes is a pastor in the state of Texas, in Tyler, Texas. And he tells the story of a New Yorker who was traveling through the state of Texas and had a terrible collision with a pickup truck carrying a long trailer that was loaded down with horses. And because of the accident, this New Yorker was laying injured on the side of the road and the horses were laying injured on the side of the road. Well, a couple of years later, an adjuster from the insurance company called this man because he was seeking further damages from all of his pain and suffering. And the adjuster said, sir, when the accident happened, you told the officers on the scene that you were okay. That you were good. And now you're saying you weren't. Can you explain why? And he said, sure I can. When I was laying on the side of the road injured and all the horses were laying on the side of the road injured and all the police officers were there checking on the horses to see how they were, they decided that they needed to take their guns out and put all of the horses down. And so then the officers came over to me and said, And sir, how are you doing? He said, Oh, I'm fine. I'm fine. <laughs> but in all seriousness, we know that pain and suffering is not a laughing matter. One of the great denominators, common denominators of the human race is that we experience pain and suffering from time to time. All you need to experience it is simply live long enough. If you live long enough, you will know pain and suffering in a personal way. I'm not sure why some Christians embrace the faulty suggestion that if a believer only has enough faith, suffering will never be a part of his or her life. That is not a truth we find anywhere in the Bible. In King Solomon's despair, in the book of Ecclesiastes, he said, Lord, the child who dies in his mother's womb and never sees daylight is better off than we are. Now, that's a very pessimistic view of life, and hopefully you don't feel that way. But we know what Solomon is trying to express. He's expressing that life as you grow up and get older and you look back on the course of your life, life can be difficult. 
Life can be filled with suffering. And it's filled with trials. Folks, it is astounding the sheer amount that the sheer amount of suffering that some people live with. Some people across the globe. Do you realize right now in many nations around the globe, if you live into your 40s, you have lived your life expectancy. If you live in the country of Angola, you can only expect to live to be 38 years old. Folks, that's reality for millions of people around the globe. Trials and hardship can come in many different forms. It can be through a job loss. It can be through the loss of a loved one. It can be through financial distress or marital conflict. It can be through dealing with a wayward child. On and on we could go giving the various scenarios. And maybe you have asked God before, God, where are you? Do you see what I'm going through? Do you see what I'm experiencing? Well, the scripture affirms he's there. And James says when we're going through trials, we can ask him for wisdom. And Paul says here we can depend on him for comfort. Those are two things we certainly need as we're going through trials. We need wisdom from God to make it through it. And we need comfort. Now this text points out that we have comfort, but more importantly, we have a comforter. And so what I want us to learn today is that we might suffer not because our suffering is connected to a specific sin in our life, but because God wants us to use the comfort we receive from Him to help somebody else who's experiencing a similar trouble. So you see, God might be using your suffering to ultimately help somebody else. What do we tend to do? We tend to focus on ourselves, but that may not be what God has in mind at all. First thing I want you to note with me today, when you suffer, you can have confidence in God as the source of comfort. Look with me at verse 3 again. In verse 3, Paul says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Paul had been through a great deal in his life, as we'll see a little bit later on in the text. He had also been through a lot at Corinth. In verse 1, Paul calls himself an apostle of Christ by the will of God. He follows the practice in ancient times that you put your name first at the beginning of the letter. Now, folks, that really makes a lot of sense, doesn't it? Today, we have to read to the bottom of the letter to see the name. Back then, you put your name right up front. At any rate, though, Paul identifies himself as an apostle. Now, remember Paul's detractors. The false apostles. 
They've come to Corinth on Paul's heels and they've tried their best to undermine Paul's apostleship and they came with their resumes, they came with their letters, their credentials and Paul said to the Corinthians at one point, I don't need a resume with you, I don't need a reference letter with you, you are my reference letter. And what Paul emphasizes, he's an apostle, but not of his own appointment. He's been appointed by God. God got a hold of him on the road to Damascus, converted him, and called him to be an apostle. He also mentions here in verse 1 about Timothy's value. At the end of 1 Corinthians, Paul had indicated that Timothy was coming to them. But we know that when Timothy arrived, they did not receive Timothy very well. And that's when Paul sent a letter through the hands of Titus that's referred to as a painful letter. We don't have that letter. 2 Corinthians is the response to Titus telling Paul that they received the painful letter well and that they're back on Paul's team. Well, what's Paul do next? How's he begin after these words of identification? He begins with a doxology. In most of his letters, he begins with a commendation of the church. There wasn't a lot to commend to to the Corinthians. But what he does is he begins with a doxology of praise to God. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and the God of all comfort. Only three times in the New Testament do we see this phrase, blessed be. In Ephesians 1.3, Paul is singing a doxology to God for what God has done in the past to secure our salvation. In 1 Peter 1 verse 3, Peter is singing a doxology to God for what God is going to do for his saints in the future. That great inheritance that we have waiting for us in heaven. Well here in 2 Corinthians 1, Paul is singing a doxology of praise to God for what God is doing right now in our lives in the present. What does God do that calls for praise? Well, obviously God does a lot that calls for praise. But what's Paul saying right here? He's singing a praise to God because God comforts us. God comforts us. We have a comforter. God secured our salvation in the past. He's preparing a wonderful future for us. But right now, you and I can live with the assurance as we go through our Christian life that we have one standing with us, standing beside us, who is at work in us and through us, and he is our comforter. Many things can be said about God in the Bible, he's our creator. He created all that is. He sustains the life he created. He's the judge of all the earth. He's the alpha and the the omega, the beginning and the end. He's the savior. 
He's the Lord. He's the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace, the wonderful Counselor. He's the mighty God. He's our shepherd. He's our refuge. He's our strength. He's the God who provides. King David said, the Lord is my shepherd. And he said in Psalm 27, he's my light and my salvation. When we think of God, there's many things we could say about it. We can think about all those wonderful attributes of God. The communicable attributes, those things about God that he expects in us too. There's the incommunicable attributes, things that belong to only God, like his omniscience, his omnipotence. But there are things like holiness and and, and love and peace and so forth, things that we can say about God that God expects his children to also reflect. He's our comforter is what Paul is concentrating on here. Our comforter. That's a communicable attribute because he expects us in turn to comfort others with the comfort we gain from him. The Greek word for comfort here is is not a soft word. It's a powerful word, an intense word. Referring to coming alongside of somebody and undergirding them when they have no strength of their own. That's what God does. Verse 3 says, He's the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In our worst predicament, our lost condition, what did God do? God sent His Son. He says here likewise in verse 3, he's the father of mercies. In the Jewish mindset to say the father of means that you're the originator of. Like when Jesus said Satan is the father of lies, he's the originator. God is the father of mercies, the originator of mercies. When you find mercy, you might find people or things behind that mercy. But if you keep pulling back all the layers, you have to say, when man shows mercy, he's only reflecting an an attitude of mercy that can be traced back to God. In, In other words, there would be no such thing as mercy without God. He's the father. The originator, the source of mercy. And so we have comfort because of the nature and the character of God. Again, there would be no comfort in the world without God. No ultimate comfort. Remember what Jesus said, in this world you will have tribulation, but be of good cheer. I've overcome the world. Where do you go for help? Where do you go for comfort? Do you turn merely to other people? Do you turn to bad things? Alcohol or drugs or illicit relationships, whatever it might be to to try to escape reality a little bit. Where do you turn? Hopefully you turn to God. He's the source of all comfort. Secondly, I want you to see this morning, when you suffer, you can have confidence in God for the sustaining of comfort. 
The sustaining of comfort, the way it goes on. Look at what he says in in verse 4 and 5. He says, who comforts us in all of our afflictions so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. What's God do? God comforts us in all of our affliction. What he's pointing out here is that affliction isn't going to be just an isolated event in our lives. Affliction is not going to be something that just comes around once in your lifetime. Our lives are littered with affliction. He's pointing out here in verse 5 that affliction is multiplied. And and it won't be just ordinary kinds of afflictions. For the Christian, what's he say here? We share also in the sufferings of Christ. He says the sufferings of Christ will be ours in abundance. What's he talking about? The same suffering that Christ faced because we identify with him, we too will suffer persecution. As Jesus said, the servant is not greater than the master. And so the Christian has all the normal afflictions, but added to that, he also has the the sufferings of Christ added to it. Look at Paul's testimony in verse 8. Of how he suffered. He he suffered more than, almost more than he could take. He says here that we we were burdened beyond our strength. So that we despaired of life itself. Burdened beyond our strength. The word picture of the Greek there is of a pack mule. You've got it loaded down to the point you've really overloaded the animal. And it's more than it can bear. Paul says that's how I've been as an apostle. As I go around preaching the gospel and have experienced all these hardships. I'm like one who's weighed down. who's, Who's almost at the breaking point beyond my strength. He says in verse 9, I felt like I had the sentence of death in myself. What's Paul referring to? Scholars wrestle with that. They're unsure. He's talking about some event while he was in Asia. Now it could be that occasion in Acts 14 when the Jews stoned Paul and drug him out of town and left him for dead. Or it could be that experience in Acts 19 when Demetrius stirred up the crowds at Ephesus against Paul because Paul was cutting into their idol making business. Because Paul was proclaiming that these idols are dead. There's no God but Jesus. And because of that, Demetrius stirred up the crowds against Paul. In, in reality, it could have been either of those experiences. could be something else. But, but what Paul is referring to here is something specific. He's not just talking about generalities. There's, there's something that has happened to him. That he's despairing of life itself. We know his countrymen sought to put him to death. But look at what he learned through this. Look at at verse 9. What he says in that second sentence in verse 9. But that was to make us rely not on ourselves but on God who raises the dead. 
when Paul was weak to the point of being past going, what did he learn? He learned the sufficiency of God. Amen? What's God able to do? Ultimately, what's God able to do that he speaks of here? God's able to raise the dead. Richard Baxter was a preacher of great influence, but he was plagued his entire ministry with severe health problems. In fact, he was under the care of about two dozen doctors who told him that he could die at any moment. At least one writer said that Baxter's illnesses were not his undoing in the ministry, but his strength. He said that Baxter's illnesses weakened temptation, kept him from valuing the world too highly, and taught him the importance of every moment of time. But along with the suffering, whatever the reason for suffering, what else comes? God's comfort. And so, yes, affliction is multiplied, but along with the affliction, what else is multiplied? The comfort that comes from God. God's comfort is multiplied and abundant through Christ, he says here in verse 5. Folks, as long as God's children suffer, God is going to be right there with them to bring comfort. You don't go through that suffering alone. Affliction will not outlast God's grace. God's grace will prevail. What was Paul's testimony here? That God delivered him. And that God would continue to deliver him. And Paul is saying to them, God will deliver you too. So what's the outcome of this in verse 10? What Paul say we've learned to do? We've set our hope on him. Amen? Notice something very important here in in verse 5 that he mentions. God's comfort comes to us how? It comes through Christ. Folks, all of the blessings that we have in life and all of the comfort we have in life comes through Jesus Christ. And you know what that means? That means that the unbe- not only does the unbeliever not have eternal life, but the unbeliever does not know God is the comforter in the same degree that a believer does. God's blessings come to us Through Christ. Well thirdly I want you to see when you suffer you can be confident in God to assist you in the sharing of comfort. 
Look at verse 4 and then verses 6 and 7. In verse 4, Paul says, Who comforts us in all our affliction so that we may be able to comfort those who are in any affliction with the comfort with which we ourselves are comforted by God. And then in verses 6 and 7, he says, If we are afflicted, it is for your comfort and salvation. And if we are comforted, it is for your comfort which you experience when you patiently endure the same sufferings that we suffer. Folks, the truth of the matter is God has each one of us in the seminary of life. God has us in training. And your experiences of affliction is part of your classroom experience. It's your on-the-job training. And through that, God is teaching us a couple of things. As we've already said, God is teaching us to look to Him, to depend upon Him, to set our hope upon Him. But what else does Paul say in these verses God is doing through that affliction? God is training us to help others. As you go through something and God leads you and comforts you, you can, He does so so you can turn around and be a blessing to somebody else who's going through that same affliction. And so whatever it is right now you may be going through, you may be going through a marital difficulty. God can use you later on to be an encouragement to other couples. Are you going through a financial difficulty? God can bring you through that and then use you to help others. Just about any difficulty you go through in life, if you'll realize, what God wants to do and be open to it you can use that later on to be a blessing to others folks this is the whole rationale in the book of Titus with older believers because older believers have lived longer and experienced more affliction and troubles they can be an instruction to the younger the the older men can be an instruction to the younger men the older women to the younger women because you have all of these rich experiences and some of those experiences you look back on they weren't good they were painful but but what you can do is you can encourage younger people as you see them going through the very same thing Because you can share with them what God did in your life to help you. You see, we're not to be like the Dead Sea. We've got too many Dead Sea Christians. You know what a Dead Sea Christian is, don't you? The Dead Sea, water flows in, but it never flows. It's just there and it's stagnant. There's no life in the Dead Sea. We're not to be like that. One person said, God does not comfort us to make us comfortable, but to make us comforters. Folks, think of it this way. How did God best relate to us? In the incarnation, right? He sent his son into our mess. Jesus was made like us in every way, yet without sin. Now, of course, the chief reason for the incarnation was why? So Jesus would go to the cross and die in our stead, die for us. But aside from that, the Bible also says through the incarnation, Jesus is our sympathetic high priest. He knows what it's like to walk in our shoes. 
And so in a sense, when we suffer, there's an incarnational aspect to it. God lets us go through a hardship, not just so somebody else who is suffering can read about it in an article in a magazine... God lets us go through a hardship so we can come alongside of that person and put our arm around them and say, I love you, I care about you, and I'm praying for you. You know what this means? This means that Christians have got to stop being so nearsighted and singing the blues all the time and complaining about their trials and hardships. We need to say, why is God doing this in my life? What is he trying to teach me? And then in turn, what can I, how can I use that to help somebody else? I want to give you a personal word on this. <clears throat> I know a lot of times people want their pastor sharing things about himself. Folks, I'll be honest with you. I don't, I don't like doing that. It's just, it's just not who I am. I, I didn't grow up that way. You were to be four going on 40. If you had trouble, just suck it up and deal with it. And don't cry. Boys don't cry. You, you just deal with it. I don't share a lot about myself. I, I, I know that's the thing to do now. Ministers get up. If you listen to them almost in every sermon. And, and they're trying to identify. I get what they're doing. But they talk about their experiences. Again, I, I just don't do that much anyway. But here goes. I'll, I'll give you a point about this. <laughs> I've always been blessed with good health growing up and through my adult years and I'll be honest sometimes when people were facing problems I could find myself having the attitude quit being a baby and just suck it up and deal with it and you know there's somebody laying in the hospital bed that's not a good thing for a pastor is it <laughs> And there's somebody in the hospital and they're laying there about to have surgery. And, and keep in mind, it may not be a big surgery at all, just something minor. And they're whining and complaining. You would think they were about to have all their organs transplanted. And sometimes you just want to say, dude, deal, be a man, deal with it. <laughs> but about seven years ago, I had a surgery, something minor, routine, came out of that with nerve damage. And sometimes it, it literally feels like I am sitting down on a railroad spike. If you could put a railroad spike in your seat and sit on that and just stay like that all day long, just about 100% of days dealing with that. And... Sometimes it's almost more than you can bear. 
I've been to Chapel Hill, I've been to Duke, I've been to Johns Hopkins, I've been to CMC Maine, I've been to Wake Forest. Everybody's got a theory, everybody's got a plan. None of it has worked. Now they just try to manage it. Right now I've got this thing in my back implanted, going down to that nerve, have a little fob, I turn it on and what it's supposed to do is it doesn't fix anything, it just blocks the pain getting to the brain. Supposedly that's what it's supposed to do. I'm still waiting on it to do what it's supposed to do. But you know what that's done? It's given me a different perspective, right? Because now when somebody's suffering, they're going through a hardship. Boy, I can identify with that. And it helps me to pray a little bit better and pray a little more sympathetically too. That's what this text is teaching. God may let you go through something and he may not fix it. He lets you go through it. So you can have a different attitude, know how to pray for somebody, know how to minister to somebody. You can identify with them and their pain and suffering because you've been through it too. And you can testify to them about the God who sustains you. Amen? Verse 1 tells us that we can help people also just through our prayers. Paul says to the Corinthians that he, Paul himself is going through all this, but he says there in verse 11, you also must help us by prayer so that many will give thanks on our behalf for the blessing granted to us by the prayers of many. What's the picture there? A lot of people. A lot of Christians coming around the situation and through prayer bearing up, bearing up that pain. Folks, when people are suffering, the prayers of the saints for that person are effective. That's part of the blessing of being a part of a church family. We help one another, we help one another through our prayers. Yes, we share our experiences. We identify with them because we've been through it too. But we also pray for them as a body of believers, those who are suffering. And Paul says here, that's effective. Told you several years ago about Newt Rockney. Gained fame as a football coach at Notre Dame. His Backfield, some of you may remember, four outstanding running backs nicknamed the Four Horsemen. Sports writers everywhere were talking about the Four Horsemen. The Four Horsemen started getting kind of puffed up. Hmm, look at us. Everybody's writing about us. When they talk about Notre Dame football, they're talking about us. But there were seven linemen. They were known as the seven mules. Newt Rockney decided he'd teach, he'd, he'd humble these guys a little bit. In one game, he took the seven mules out, put in other linemen. The four horsemen were totally shut down. 
Second half of the game, he put the seven mules back in and the four horsemen were able to do what they had done all season long and carry the team to victory. That's the importance of team members. In a church body, we're team members, so to speak. We're there to pray for one another and help one another. And look at what Paul says next about this. When a lot of people get involved in ministering to somebody and praying for somebody, and let's say God touches that person, delivers them out of their affliction, it's not just so that one person gives thanks to God, but what's he say here? It causes everybody to give thanks to God. God gets even more praise. Let me close by giving you three lessons. Lesson number one, Christians are not isolated from the problems of life. Everybody here is going to experience affliction of one sort or another. We're not not isolated from that. The difference is we're insulated. We're not isolated, we're insulated. We are kept by the power of God. Are you going through a trial? God's able to help you. He's able to comfort you and strengthen you. Second lesson, trials are an occasion to trust God. The question is, will you know the God of all comfort? Will you depend upon the God of all comfort? When you are beyond your strength, will you rely on His strength? Thirdly, what we learn from trials helps us in our ministry to others. So the question is, will you do that? Will you be willing To take what God has helped you with and help others. Suffering? Yes. God's people suffer. It's part of living in a fallen world. But God wants you trusting Him. Trusting Him, setting your hope on Him, and helping others who are going through the same affliction. Let's pray together. Father, we thank You for Your Word. As Christians, Lord, we believe that Your Word gives the best answers to life. Help us as Christians... To know you, to experience your love and grace and comfort. And Lord, help us not to be Dead Sea Christians. But the help that we receive from you, may we let it flow out to help others around us. May we be found faithful in doing that. Lord, help us to get our eyes off of ourselves and our problems and put our eyes on you first and then on others. For it's in Christ's name that we pray.